All right. So it was a pretty uh, chaotic and uh, news-filled week. So where do you think you want to start? I mean, we, we probably should start with um, with Darth changing his uh, Twitter avatar to just D. I think I think that's really the, the big news of the week. Who is Darth? <laughs> I, I don't really, despite me laughing, I actually don't really understand what the joke you were making was. No, no, I'm saying, do you think regular people know who he is? Oh, regular people. Um, no, not at all. Okay. It's, it's a red panda that's very good at Photoshop. Right. And really likes potatoes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so his, so his, his changing, or he, he or she, we should say, we don't, we don't know. Um, changing of their av- Twitter avatar was in response to uh, Google uh, reorganizing itself, which I, I guess is one word for it, um, into Alphabet. Do you, do you want to try to take a shot at explaining what this is? So uh, Google uh, chose on, was it Monday morning, uh, to reorganize their entire business structure. Previously, Google Inc. was a, uh, a publicly traded company that kind of encompassed everything that Google does, which included a lot of side projects and uh, moonshots, as they call them, um, on top of their core uh, money-making activities like search and YouTube and those types of things. So, um, and that also led to like people being compla- uh, like complaining about uh, what was disclosed on uh, investor reporting, uh, where the money was going, and kind of like leadership challenges. So on Monday, they announced that Google will be creating uh, a um, kind of a, not a shell company, but a holding company that will be called Alphabet Inc. That will own all the shares of Google Inc. And they will spin out uh, certain companies and entities that are part of Google right now into uh, smaller companies that are wholly owned by Alphabet, such as Nest and Google Fiber and some of their um, weirder, uh, like they have a couple of like uh, medical and like life sciences uh, companies that they're doing. Uh, But the core of their money-making properties will remain inside of Google Inc., which will be owned by Alphabet. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I I think I've been thinking about this, you know, since since the news came out, and it it seems smart on in in a lot of ways. I, I think what Google's become most criticized for over the last couple of years has been sort of their lack of focus, where you know ultimately a lot of what they've announced in terms of new initiatives and acquisitions don't really have a lot to do with their your core business. I mean, at, at their core, they're an advertising company. And, you know, it, it was hard to kind of fit in moves like acquiring Nest or, um, you know, expanding Google Fiber. Like, you, you could always kind of make a link if you had to, but it was becoming a little bit more tenuous to do that. And it's clear that Google's ambition is more than just ads i mean you know ads are sort of what it's it's kind of the fuel for allowing them to do all the other crazy stuff that they want to do and so you know i to me i think making it a little bit more clear in that hey there's this core business that just focuses on the ad stuff and you know it 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 generates revenue and profit which allows us to then go out and do other things i think that's exactly sort of what this structure makes clearer I mean, the deal is that, I mean, Google in its like most basic form is, is an advertising company 
and they they understand that that won't last forever. But people who want to invest in Google perhaps maybe want more guidance and insight into the company that has stable revenues versus how Google and uh, Larry and Sergey might think of it where Google proper, the advertising company and the search company is what's able to subsidize the um, those moonshot efforts that they hope will be their future because they know that indexing the world's information and traditional search and display ads as we move onto mobile and to all these other things might not last forever. So I think it's a way of kind of just separating out uh, and giving them more freedom with what they can do in terms of acquisitions and uh, capital expenditures and that kind of stuff with those um, more adventurous companies. Right. And, you know, to be honest, I, I hope that this new structure allows them to do even more kind of crazy stuff. Like for me, like that, that's what I find really interesting about Google is that, you know, and we, I think I think we've talked about this on the show. You know, I, I'm appreciative of what Apple does, where they're very focused. And I think that focus very clearly shows in the quality of their products. But I, I wouldn't want every company to operate that way. And I think it's neat to have a company like Google, which is pretty much the complete opposite. Because a lot of really cool stuff can come out of that more just, you know, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks kind of mentality. Was that foreshadowing? Uh, foreshadowing for Samsung later? <laughs> uh, it wasn't, but I mean, we can cut. You know, we can cut and you know put this back together to make it sound like it was. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, yeah. Overall, I, I think this is uh, an interesting topic for 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 many reasons. But um, also, I don't know. Do do you do you find it amusing or interesting at all that uh, Google doesn't own Alphabet.com and doesn't really care? That it doesn't. I, I think it's a sign of the times. I just I don't think I don't think having that top level kind of dot com domain matters as much as it used to, I, especially for a entity like Alphabet, which really isn't like consumer facing. Sure, it, 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 like Alphabet's not really meant to be like a consumer brand. So I mean, as far as I understand. Um... The the stock ticker is not changing, and uh, the G O O G uh, L uh, ticker will basically later this year just own Alphabet shares. Correct. So well, no. So I, I think the so there's two classes of Google stock. Now, well, yeah. There's there's well there has been for like two years of the voting and non-voting shares. That, that's right. Um, and I think so that you're right. The stock tickers are staying the same, but it, my understanding is that these Google shares will be converted into shares of Alphabet. Oh no! Correct. I'm saying that the the ticker won't change. That's that's right. But I think I think you said it the other way around. Where? Oh, okay. But anyway, you can edit um, it to make me sound smarter. Sure. Yeah. We'll we'll do that. Fantastic. Um. Yeah. No. I think. But I, th I think that kind of illustrates how a lot of this is, at least initially, kind of in the nerdy financial corporate structure kind of thing, and it, it's going to be quite a while, I think, before we see like the more kind of like tangible results of this so i mean so what i what i've talked about so far is the amount to which i think i i completely understand the situation but things that have been thrown around that i don't totally get i guess i don't understand and maybe you, you you're welcome to either speculate tell me the truth or say you don't know but about people keep suggesting that this will open them up to 
uh, be more free to make uh, larger acquisitions. Like, uh, like I don't think I, I don't think there's a situation where Google will ever buy Twitter, but people keep saying that that is like they'd be one of the most likely buyers, and that this reorganization helps them with that. So, can you explain why that would or would not be the case, or what you think but don't know? I don't think you know. I obviously their cash position hasn't changed. Like nothing's changed in terms of the finances. So it's not like they they're just going to go out and start spending a bunch of money. But I think over time, this new structure gives them a bit more freedom with that. Okay, gotcha. And I think the the last point I would make is actually one that you've already made, which I think is a really good one. Which is Google is very aware that their core business isn't going to last forever. Um, you know, web. Web ads are just not, I mean, they're always going to be a thing, but I, you know, there's some evidence to suggest that, you know, maybe as mobile is growing, you know, that, that part of the business has maybe even peaked already or come close to peaking. And so I think they're very smart in exploring as many other things as they can. Um, and, you know, in addition to just kind of, I think being something that they're just naturally interested in as an organization, which is the whole moonshotting thing that you've mentioned a couple of times, but I think also from a more you know financial perspective, they're already trying to get ahead and find the next the next next big thing, as you would say. Was um, was that your attempt at a transition to Samsung or? No, but I I, I thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> sure, it's already here. <laughs> <laughs> it's self driving cars. I'm I'm very much looking forward to a self driving car. Nope. No, I'm I'm looking forward to everybody else having self-driving cars. Well, see, on, on the way home, I saw three distinct people, like not even like holding their phone, but just outright texting, and I it, it's a, it's really really bothersome. Well, that's exactly why we need self-driving cars. No, we just need to. <sighs> were you were you going to say something nasty? No, not nasty. I was just going to say something uh, ill-advised. <laughs> I get like just like there are people like I don't know like just. Some people just take life with such a casual and irresponsible attitude. It bugs me in in many regards. But. Well, so so given that, I mean, why why don't you want self driving cars? It sounds like no, you're making every, the argument. No, I'm saying for, for everybody but me. I'm cool with that. Do you want to drive? Sure. If I if I if I have a, a roads with far safer people, I'm I'm great. With, that's fantastic. But wouldn't you just rather have a computer drive for you so you can be doing other things? Not really. What am I going to do? Look at more dog pictures on Instagram. I already <laughs> do plenty of that. Read more about what what uh, what alphabets reorganizing themselves into in six years. I just you know maybe come up with more topics for the show. I don't know. I do I do plenty of that, sir. Oh, that's true. I saw your I saw a screenshot of your notes. You're very prepared this week. I just have our uh, Slack very nicely organized because I'm going all in on OmniFocus again. I mean, you had the wrong date on there, but we can forgive that. We pushed back the show a day. Well, I mean, by we you mean you. I politely asked. You did, and I, I politely accepted. Fantastic. <laughs> We're a good team, you and I. Yep. All right. So, do you want to talk about Apple a tiny bit? Uh, we don't. We don't really do that here. <laughs> I was going to say in a financial <laughs> sense, but oh, uh, we don't. Yeah, we don't really do that either. Okay. But I mean, well, we can allow it this one time. So, so as as a, as a shareholder, how are you feeling right now? Not great. No. Yeah. As a shareholder of both Apple and Twitter. I mean, do we have to disclose that on the show? I don't really even know how that works. I don't think I, so. I think you have to put it in the show notes. I think you have to put it in like the podcast like title. 
Because you know, like on uh, on uh, CNBC, they'll have like uh, analyst disclosures. It just I'm not I'm not really sure we're in quite that position of influence, but uh, I think I am. <laughs> um, yeah, no. As as a shareholder of yeah, both Twitter and Apple, not not feeling great. Shareholder of Netflix, I'm feeling better, feeling good about that. Actually, isn't that down like a three percent like uh, year to date? Perhaps year to date, but not since I've gotten in. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, no, Twitter and Apple, um, Twitter more so than Apple, of course, not, uh, not great, but you know, I, for me, especially with as volatile of a stock as, you know, both Twitter and Apple are like, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm long-term on both of those. So you kind of do just have to, you have to, you have to kind of ignore the day to day and also working for a company who has an extremely volatile stock you know that's one of the lessons you kind of have to learn is you you kind of have to just block out the noise both good and bad quite frankly for kind of like the day-to-day movement with the stock so you have no worries whatsoever about um about uh apple oh i certainly do um like like you don't think think the recent like price drop has been warranted no not at all how so um i i think I think the core, their core business is still strong, um, and I, I don't think. But their core business, where? The iPhone. No, but where? What do you mean? Geographically. I I think it's 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 shown great growth everywhere, including the you know most important market to investors right now, China. But how so? If their if their currency is falling so much and they're on track for the slowest economic growth in in several years. And that means U.S. made goods are far more expensive. You don't think that negatively affects Apple in any way? That's that's their growth market. They're they're not the North American and European markets are saturated. I mean, I think it does. But I mean, look at the original iPhone here in the U.S., where it was released, you know, a year and a half before one of the biggest economic collapses we've had in recent memory. And but, but the difference is that the U.S. consumer, like, it's it's different. Like it's just different. Like I mean, <laughs> that's a that's a hot take. That's a, that's a compelling case. Uh, yeah. No, like it, it's you a, a, a U.S. downturn uh, that affects the middle class that that like shows like a tightening of credit and like increased borrowing, like that kind of stuff. Like it's very different than a economic slowdown of one of the biggest economies in the world where there's this big uh, developing middle class that's buying all these goods. That has so many more consumers than the U.S. and Europe combined. Like, I, like that has to be a, like I think a little bit of the skepticism and caution for Apple's future growth potential because of that stuff is kind of warranted. Sure, no, that's that's fair. But again, the, the United States and China are very different in terms of the developed nature of the economy. Yeah, I um, I, I think you know, for me that this is just total you know, personal preference and doesn't, doesn't really have a lot of necessarily, you know, concrete, you know, evidence from stock trends or anything. But I, the thing that I really look for like when I invest is, um, not only just like the, the business itself, but also the people who are running it. And I, I think Apple's a very well run company. And I think, I think that counts for a lot. Um, particularly because of things like you just described, where when challenges do arise, you want the right people at the helm, and there are plenty of companies where that's not the case. Um, and I, I feel like with Apple, they increasingly so actually have a really strong management team, and that's you know, 
I think that's going to serve them serve them well for you know a long time to come. Perhaps I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what September's event holds because again, I think we've we've talked like if you review this past year of shows, I think we found a lot of uh, causes for skepticism and concern a little bit. Yeah, but I think a lot of it is just given their size now. I, I think companies that are that have grown as fast as they have and have, and has reached the scale that they have are going to face some of the challenges that we've complained about. I mean, it's simply inevitable that when you go from a company like Apple was in 07 or 08 to where they are now, it, it, it there are going to be certain things that kind of slip through the cracks in terms of product quality, hardware and software, and in terms of, you know, movement. You know, I think people... People have, in, in many ways, rightly criticized Apple for you know moving a little too slowly on some things, and you know that that's just that that's just where they are now. They just they can't be quite as agile as they could have been when they were. I mean, what a hundredth of the size that they are today. Perhaps. All right. Well, give us a fun topic. A fun a fun topic. Do we do we do those here? We do. Um. Hmm. Um, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta kind of look through here. I don't, I don't know. We'll put in like a nice music, uh, music. Yeah, no, we'll here. put, we'll put it, put in the, the interlude there. Yeah. Put on know. some Sugar Ray. Yeah. Um. Did they do How's It Gonna Be? Is that a song of theirs? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Um. Hmm. All right, we don't have That's very a much good song. The, we don't have very much in the slack this week. I got plenty. Well, what do you? Oh, well, why don't why don't you why don't you continue with that? Again, if I'm just running the show, that's no fun. No, I mean that's that's how it is. You know, that's how it is most weeks. All right. Um, hmm. What do we want to do? So uh, apparently, I didn't uh, figure this out because I hadn't tried to download uh, the app recently. But did did you? I know you don't use Instacast as your primary uh, podcatcher or what whatever the hell they used to be called back when. Uh, Leo Laporte was complaining that netcasts uh, were the new thing. But uh, Instacast apparently is dead. And I'm super bummed about that. Yeah, that's that's too bad. I, I was a long-time Instacast user and, and really enjoyed it. And then and then you switched for some reason. I did. So, I don't know. It, it, it bums me for, for so many reasons. Just because, one, it was, it was, it was one of the most full-featured applications. It was well-designed. Um, it had a fantastic syncing uh, system, and also it uh, the people who made it, uh, a company called Vimedio uh, from Germany, uh, they actually made a proper macOS 10 client, which synced perfectly. Because I'm, apparently I'm a weirdo that actually uses a real computer and uh, likes to listen to podcasts on that computer, and nobody else is doing that. Yeah, that that doesn't make any sense to me at all. How not? Like you don't. Like, do you just not sit in front of a computer ever? Why I, I, why I sit in front of a computer for much more than I should? So um, then why on earth would you listen to the podcast on your phone instead of your computer? Well, I, I, can't, I, I can't work and listen to a podcast at the same time. Hmm. I'm just not, I'm not programmed that way. Hmm. I can't even listen to lyrical music when I work. I just have to listen to, you know, compositional music. Explain. Well, no, I know, I know what you mean, but what are some examples of the music that I listen to? What what is compositional music for you? Generally, like movie soundtracks, such as. 
Um, like you just well, listen so to Lord I, of the Rings on repeat or something? No, I, I usually have um, like Hans Zimmer radio on uh, Pandora. <laughs> I'm serious. Th- that name sounds so familiar. Who's that? I mean, he's he's done. Is everything. he is he the guy who's everything? Okay, there you go. Well, so there's there's John Williams, who's literally the guy who's done everything, and then Hans Zimmer is another one of those types of guys. He's done like the the Batman movies. He's done Pirates of the Caribbean. He's he's done a lot. Uh, he did The Lion King. That's where I know it from. Hans Zimmer? Yeah. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Uh, his works include The Lion King, for which he won uh, the Academy Award for Best Original Score in 1994, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Thin Red Line, Gladiator, This Last Samurai, Dark Knight Trilogy, blah, blah, blah. Boring He, he did like Interstellar. Yeah. Okay, so that's where I know it from. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyway, I don't know. Like, I, I've been uh, auditioning new podcast clients because I, I know eventually, um, like, something will break or who knows, it might not. Since they ceased development on it in uh, late June, I just didn't figure it out until I was trying to download it for my uh, new-ish computer. Um, yeah, I've been looking at new new um, podcast apps, and none of them are as good. Overcast, I, which I've tried and is kind of the, uh, like, uh, Mac nerd favorite, is just absolutely terrible. And I don't get the appeal of it, and it frustrates me that so many people like it. Um, and then Pocket Casts is pretty okay. It ha- it doesn't have a Mac client, but it has a website that's pretty full featured. There's no, of course, uh, like no offline support, but it's pretty good. And then there's Castro, that's iOS only, no web client or Mac app. That's probably my favorite, but I can't deal with one that's just iOS. So I think I'm probably just going to continue to use Instacast until it and, until it doesn't work anymore, and then I'll just be sad. So I really want to hear more about your dislike of Overcast. I want to um, hear about anybody's sane uh, positivity about Overcast. So for me, the the thing that I really enjoy about it a lot is its you know playlist structure, where it's it's very it, it's basically entirely structured around the the concept of playlists. Um, and for me, that, that just, that, that makes sense. Um, setting up playlists for either certain, certain types of podcasts or, you know, simply like an all podcast list where you can prioritize certain podcasts. Um, to me, that's just the way that I would want to organize podcasts. That's, that's exactly how I would want to. And so, you know, that the, the app, the app works great for me. I I don't see it. Like I understand that you you would think that that's a benefit, but what about all the, all the other drawbacks? In the sense that it's ugly, it doesn't support streaming, it is ugly. Uh, it's just it doesn't it doesn't do most things well. So what what doesn't it do well? Like anything. Hmm. I mean, obviously, for you, I know you use streaming a lot, so it doesn't do that, of course, doesn't do that at all. Um, So I get that part of it, but I guess I don't understand what else you think it doesn't do well. Like, I don't know, like, it doesn't support chapters, and I understand Instacast is probably one of the only ones that does that, and that's that's nice. Um, Like, visually, I just really, really dislike the way it looks. It tries to be really simplistic and uh, minimalist, even though it's not. It just lacks options that you would actually want. Uh, the I don't, I don't know like it just 
it doesn't make sense to me. Where it's it's just I, I just don't know. It, it's I don't want to sound like a hater, but I just it just feels wrong. Hmm. I don't know. I I, I honestly I gave it a full day's worth of use, and it just it does not make sense. Yeah, I guess in addition to just the whole playlist structure of it, I actually really I like the way it looks too. Even even the funky font, even the excessive use of orange, which is my favorite cut. Like the font is illegible. The font the font's not very good. Like that's all of it because it's not very graphic heavy. It's all just this weird. Well, no, I think I think the I think the way like the player controls are set up and the way that you know the album art is displayed. I think the the rest of the way the app looks is very nice. But I, I do agree that the font's kind of yeah. Yeah. Let me uh send you a picture of something real quick. I do like this iCloud photo library. The syncing to the Mac is very, very fast. I yeah, I don't um I don't use that yet. It's pretty good. I would recommend it. Okay. I think that's gonna be my catchphrase. I would recommend it. <laughs> it seems to be all I ever say. Yeah. You say that and sure a lot. Sure. And I also like to start the uh start the show with uh So Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Pocket Cast is probably the front runner for when this dies. And uh, I just sent you a picture. But like the playback, uh, the pay- the playback screen is is very very simple and nice. I don't. I would never use Smart Speed or any of that kind of stuff. I just. I don't think I could ever do that. It's it's just very simple and nice. I like it. And again, it has that web app that syncs your place. And I don't know. Anyway, but but doesn't it look very very clean and doesn't have weird funky fonts. It has big buttons for uh, play and rewind and, and the skip. It's it's nice and customizable, but not too customizable. I think it's good. I mean, it's fine. It, it, in a lot of ways, I think it looks a lot like Overcast. I mean, I guess the other thing you have to kind of think about with a podcast client is that you don't really interact with it a bunch. Like, you know, I'll... When I have podcasts playing, it, it's you know my phone's just like in my pocket or on my desk or somewhere. I'm not really, I'm not really constantly using the app itself. If if that makes sense. Well, sure. So again, I I don't understand how that's a plus in. I, I, so is that just to make the point that you think the fact that Overcast is ugly is less important? I guess. I mean, I think what's more important for me is the way that the playlists work. And that's, you know, functionally the way that I interact with the app the most. I don't I don't sit there staring at it and look, seeing how it looks all that often. So perhaps that's not what I'm understanding, because I'm not a heavy playlist user. Other than just knowing which episodes are unplayed, I, I don't really venture beyond that. So I guess maybe maybe I'm, that's what I'm missing. So how do, how do you use it? And how does that make it different? <clears throat> Let's see. So if I open Overcast here, my playlists are all episodes, NPR, sports, technology, video games, and miscellaneous. Um, and yeah, I think playlists are what allow me to easily get to the type of podcast that I want to listen to. You know, because I mean, there are times where it's like, you know, I, I really want to listen to a sports podcast or I really want to listen to something that's more video game focused. Like the genre is usually kind of the first thing that I'm that I'm looking for. And then by having playlists set up for each of those, I'm easily able just to click into that. And then, oh, you know, here's the five episodes that I have a, uh, under this, you know, playlist or whatever it is. Um, 
And then, you know, sometimes I just kind of want to see what I haven't listened to yet. And so that's what the all playlist um, mode kind of allows me to do. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I just can't. I, my, my brain is like, I, I, I don't think I could ever create a like a, a technology podcast playlist because whenever I like go and want to listen to a, a podcast, I think of like the host and, and the, the topic type. I don't think I could just say play the newest technology podcast because I don't think I'd get what I would want. Like whenever you want to listen to something, are you just completely open to listening to whatever's new? Like that makes no difference. Well, no, that's where the um, the priority comes in. So you know, within each playlist, you can set certain podcasts to have more priority. So you know, if if a certain podcast has come out more recently, but you want to prioritize another podcast over it, even if the the one that you're prioritizing came out a little bit later, it still will kind of show up at the at, at the top. So it, you're not completely just driven by you know what's come out more most recently. Hmm. Okay. Different strokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a shame that nobody prioritizes the Mac anymore, or or nobody uh, thinks it's worth developing for. It's just just a simple law of numbers. Yeah, but well, and also, hmm. oh, quick aside: Do you ever think Apple's going to change or or get get their head out of their butt in terms of pricing of applications and the things that would allow? developers to charge more i i would imagine it's something that they think about a lot so like what what do you think what do you think i mean or or what do what would you want to change like are there any applications you absolutely love and you're like this is this was more worthwhile to me than what i paid um i one password definitely um and it, it actually is relatively a more expensive app but I, I still feel like i get way more utility out of it than i than i paid for it um I feel the same way about Fantastical, specifically to iOS. I think the Mac version is probably fairly priced, but the iOS version, I, I, I feel like I get a ton more utility out of than, than what I paid for. Um, I guess, yeah, those, those are the two that come, come to mind. And I, yeah, I, I, would, I would love to see somehow Apple being able to influence the prices of iOS apps so that, you know, these truly super useful apps are allowed to and it, not in the sense that they're absolutely not allowed to like by rule or something but just kind of like given the current economics of it it's just not feasible for a lot of these apps to charge more than like 99 cents or a dollar 99 or in some cases even charge anything at all sure um like yeah i mean i i know we won't see anything because uh, wwdc has already passed but like I, I just think soon there has to be free trials and there have to be paid upgrades and there has to be like if there was a free trial for because um, like Overcast right now has a, a freemium model, right? Like the application's free and if you want like any of like the features, like I think what are their requirements if you don't pay for it? Do you know? Like what? What does it have without paying for it? Yeah, like what? What do you lose if you don't buy the the five dollar like kind of like what the app actually should cost, but since there are no free trials, he kind of has to do the freemium thing. I think it's um, I know smart playlists are are one of the things that you don't get if you don't pay. Um, I actually, I mean, I I, I bought the app the day of day it came out, so I don't I don't really remember. Okay. Well, anyway, like I think there there have. 
they just need to have free trials. Like there's so many applications that I would want to take a chance on, but I just don't. Like not because I'm like super cheap or like or that like five like five dollars is gonna break me, but you like I, I don't know what it is what it is about like human behavior that makes me like like the risk of loss is so high with something that's fairly unimportant. And I think free trials would solve all that, as well as paid upgrades, so that something that is really compelling and uh, valuable could actually charge what it is, rather than ha- them having to price it in that like impulse buy territory and just hoping that enough people buy it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I, I I completely agree that free trials would go a long way in in, in solving a lot of people's maybe hesitancy hesitancy to spend even you know a couple of bucks. And do you think Apple likes it this way? No, I don't think so. Like, you don't think cheap apps make their product, like a majority of free apps and the rest of them being like 99 cents to $1.99, you don't think that incentivizes people to buy the phone? No, I don't think. I don't think when people go into a store and they look to buy which smartphone or think about which smartphone they want to buy, rather, they're thinking, oh, you know, the apps are cheaper on this platform. I don't, I don't really think that's something that people consider. Hmm. Okay. I, I kind of disagree. I don't know. And I think this is also kind of a bigger problem on uh, the Mac App Store. Not that that is a thing that people think about, but, you know. Well, the, the Mac App Store almost doesn't even count, though, because Apple's so half-assed in, in that. Whereas with, you know, iOS, it's it's a fundamental part of the product. And I don't know, the, the Mac Mac App Store is clearly something that Apple doesn't care nearly as much about. Okay. All right. So you're gonna have something. What do you got? Um. Hmm. What What do I have? I man. I you keep catching me off guard here. I I don't know. Um. We really didn't put much in the slack at all this week. I, I got plenty. Okay. Well, keep keep it keep it coming then. You want to talk about ad blocking? Uh sure. So like, do you run? Have you? in the past or currently ever run an ad blocker outside of the pop-up blocker that comes inside most web browsers? I haven't, no. Have you ever felt the need and or have you ever thought about it and then thought better of it? No. And I, I, I guess, you know, we, we joked earlier about having full disclosure about the stocks we've purchased. Um, I mean, I, I work for a company which is which is primarily ad-driven, as are lots of companies. Um, so, But I, I like to think that, you know, even... That my decision to to not run any sort of ad blocker isn't really colored by that at all because it's not like I ran one before I started at my current job and now don't. Um, I don't know. It's just it's not really something. I guess I the types of websites that I visit, um, I don't find the ads to be overly intrusive. I think I think there are some sites that come pretty close, like you know ESPN certainly comes to mind, The Verge. Um, but even those, you know, I, I feel like the ads are tolerable. So I guess the question is, have you become aware of the dramatic difference in web advertising in the past five years? Not, not in the sense that there's more like splash pages or flash based like video ads that automatically play and like take over your screen, but in terms of like all the JavaScript and and crap that they run in the background that tracks you across websites. No, so so Gruber's been on this a lot lately, he, and he's you know he's talked about not only just the privacy implications, but you know, the fact that it kills your battery and kind of just in general makes your computer run crappier. Um, that that's really not something that I've thought about prior to him kind of bringing it up. 
Hmm. So, I mean, in the past couple of days since that article came out, I have, I did install the um, Chrome extension called Ghostery that uh, will block all that stuff. And it is kind of astounding to see all all the crap and all the trackers and all the um, ad network and stuff that are, are running different things on your computer that are just a complete waste on, on your battery bandwidth. And also like load times of pages is dramatically different. Like not not that I go to the Verge that often, but like its website, like the the load time and from like completed page uh, from initial load has gone from like uh, eight seconds down to like one. It, it's just I don't know. I understand there's a difficulty in between like offering a free website that's ad supported and and that kind of stuff and and but I don't know. It just seems like there's just so little care or respect for what the uh, for what the user is anymore. I mean, you know, I I think. The way that I see it is that, you know, ads, pe- people people have the power to to influence them, right? If if you have a if you have a website or a service or anything that's ad driven, and you have ads which people find obnoxious and, and intrusive, people are going to stop using your service. They're going to stop visiting your website. So, I think there's an there's a natural incentive to make sure that your ads are done in an efficient, tasteful way, and, you know. That's where you know I think a, I think some of some of what is being discussed with the whole concept of ad blocking is a little overblown in some ways because I, I really do think that if ads are done well and they're targeted properly, then there really isn't any sort of incentive to go out and get an ad blocker. It's really only for the cases where people are doing ads wrong. And and you don't think that's the case anywhere. Well, I I think that I only visit websites where I feel like you know the ads are done in an appropriate way. If, if uh, you know, like I don't go to weather.com, for example. <laughs> so like the the full page or, or like the full page interstitial ad that you get anytime you open the ESPN app, you're completely cool with that. Well, I, I listed ESPN as being, uh, you know, a, a site slash service really because yeah, I use the app a lot too. It's right on the border. It's de- it's definitely right on the border of being a little too much, but no, I I don't I don't find it I don't find it obtrusive enough to the point where it's affecting my ability to use the app. Well, I think you're giving yourself a pretty low bar there, but I mean, I guess a lot of it's too. I'm just I'm used to being advertised to, you know. I, think just, I, I don't mind advertising. It's just I don't know. Like those ads that you see where like uh, you go like on Amazon or like uh, Nordstrom, you're just you're browsing for like new shoes or something. And then you go to Facebook and you see that everything that you browse for tracks you there. And in the the right hand sidebar, you see suggested advertising for something that you looked up two days ago that you had no idea or that you never opted into having your shopping history tracked. Like you don't ever find that weird. I get because I'm, I'm, I'm a consumer that's all that's almost always willing to pay for something if it's a less crappy experience like like well i guess of applications that have a free and a paid version and the the free version just shows you a ton of ads do you pay for the real for the actual one it depends depends on how much i use it okay well i mean that's that's the honest answer okay man i'm I'm just shooting and missing today <laughs> yeah I, like i regardless of how much i like it i will generally always buy it just because i can't take especially on like on mobile the ads seem to be way worse yeah i mean advertising is harder to do on mobile but i'm just like the like the quality of ads 
Right. I mean, well, because you just have so much less real estate to work with if you're, you know, doing a display ad, which is, you know, what what most apps and uh, websites use. Yeah. What is Clash of Clans? Um, it seems like that's the only thing that's ever advertised. <laughs> it's, that, it's, like, just, like all these like weird, uh, like, they're probably like in-app purchase games, right? It's, it's a, yeah, it, it's a mobile app of some, or a mobile game of some kind. It's, I know, it's always near the top of the iTunes or uh, app store charts. Gotcha. It's the, it's the number one top grossing app right now. Ugh. Yeah. All right. What you got? Uh, well, do you have a, uh, do you have a pick of the week? <laughs> sure. You go first. Um, so I, my pick of the week is it's it's an old back it's a, it's an old one rather old old back i don't know what that is um so we're you know we normally record on a wednesday so this is a, is a thursday a little inside baseball so i do actually feel um using the phrase throwback thursday is is fully appropriate here um yeah my so my my pick is google voice mm. yeah Okay, explain why. <laughs> so, a couple of reasons. So, you know, the first is there are there are many situations where, you know, you're asked to give your phone number and, you know, maybe you don't really want to give out your your primary phone number either for fear of being, you know, telemarketed to or or whatever the case is. I I do like the con- the the juxtaposition of this versus the advertising discussion like 4 seconds ago. <laughs> So you you can give out a number which you know isn't really your primary number. It's sort of like giving out like a secondary sort of email address. So I, I really like it for that. Um, and you know more recently where it's become applicable towards me is I have um, a, you know a, an area a number from an area code where I you know used to live where I first got my cell phone number. And there have been a couple of things, including you know the ability to work the buzzer on the the door to my building where. I've needed a 415 number and, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go through the, the um, process of changing my phone number. I mean, I've, I've had my cell phone number for, I don't know, like eight years now, long, longer, 10 years. Um, and so I, 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 don't, I wouldn't want to go through and completely change that. And so the ability to have a second phone number with my current local area code is fantastic while still being able to maintain, you know, my current phone number. Um, and the fact that this is all free, I mean, free in air quotes, right? Because it's Google, um, is 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 pretty great. Um, and I I use it use it quite a bit, and um, yeah, I I just think it's it's a really it's a really great service, and the fact that it you know doesn't add anything to my AT and T bill or anything like that um, is pretty great. Well, nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, hmm. yeah, Google it, it definitely serves a purpose. Um, I think I, because that's uh, what I use as, like a Google voice number is what I use primarily as my work phone number. Um, I think I probably have to interact with it more and that makes it a bit more, like, are you using the application or just the website? Um, I I don't actually use either. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I just have the phone It's just number. forwarding. Yeah, right. So you've never had to place an outbound call from that number? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, yeah, like... Google seems to not care. Sorry, Alphabet seems to not care about the service at all. And the app like hasn't been updated in like, oh God, who knows how long. So actually using it the way it's designed um, is is a mess. But for the purposes that you talk about, it's fantastic. Well, 
And that, that's what I use it for. So, <laughs> so, so it's a way to go. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, uh, do I have one? Do I have one? Not really. Um, I mean, you, you always chastise me when I don't have one. You're putting me on the spot here. Well, that's that's what we do here. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Dropbox. <laughs> okay. No, so again, and we'll talk about this on on our, uh, next week's extended episode because I think it's gonna take forever to talk about. Um, but I began repurposing uh, my old uh, busted MacBook Pro uh, and have comp- uh, converted it into a desktop machine. And I just I I it reminded me how much uh, Dropbox actually makes my entire life work. In terms of syncing one password and so many other little miniature applications, I have every, basically every single like my home directory is basically Dropbox, and that makes having two Macs doable. And I think it's pretty good. And in last year or earlier this year, they converted their Pro accounts to giving you a terabyte of space, so you no longer have to worry about space being an issue. It's it's very fast, has two factor authentication. It's just and it's uh pretty mac friendly because i also on occasion use box and i realize how mac unfriendly uh an application can be so dropbox two thumbs up yeah no i um i i'm i'm with you where i i pretty much treat dropbox as my my home directory and it makes it so that i i almost don't even necessarily worry about like if my computer were to just completely crash, like either my work computer, or my personal Mac Mini, MacBook Pro, whatever, I mean, yeah, it would be an inconvenience, but not nearly the disaster it would have been, you know, pre-Dropbox. Yeah, I, I don't want to like call attention to this, but I've been super lax about my backup strategy just to the point where because uh, my photos live uh, in iCloud, uh, photo library, and uh, iTunes is... I hope synced with iTunes match slash Apple music. I haven't actually checked when it's probably all been eaten by now by Apple music, but, and and then everything's in Dropbox. I I don't really think anything of terrible value would be lost if my computer completely died. And, and I do, and I do really enjoy that. And it also, it eliminates the barrier for somebody who like me, who still uses a traditional Mac uh, with using an iPad and an iPhone because Basically, all of my documents are already there. Just everything's there all the time. So, pretty good. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it's the it's the mechanism by which a lot of apps sync data across multiple machines. And you know, the best example of that being One Password. It just it 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 does just work. You know, to, to kind of borrow that phrase, and it's it's awesome. And it, it's great because it's totally platform agnostic. So, like for me with One Password. I use it every day on Windows, OS 10, and iOS. And it's, you know, the experience is seamlessly synced across all those platforms. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it just doesn't always get its due. And also, it's had, like, a ton of competitors. Like, it's it's had Google Drive, whatever that actually is, and iCloud Drive, and a whole lot of other things that just don't take off. Maybe it's just because, again, like, I only talk to nerds, but... Uh, like it, they don't ever seem to approach the ease of use and actual like level of flexibility, right? Like I, I still don't know what iCloud Drive does, except apparently it eats your files. Like I don't, I don't know if you saw that article. I did. No, yeah. the, the the ease of use is key. I think that's what that's what drives Dropbox and makes it as popular as it is. Yeah. There are a few closed systems that I generally trust, like implicit, like completely, and Dropbox is one of those. I don't really understand how it works. But it just says it's never failed me. 
Yeah, I I'm, I feel exactly the same way. And my account will be hacked in two days. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, your uh, your little comment there earlier about your your new setup reminded me that we we were going to talk about that, but we we can save that for next week. It's it's delayed for one particular reason, but we'll talk about that this uh, next week. Okay. Yeah, I also want to um, talk about my upgrading to Windows 10 experience as well, but I think that'll be better served, uh, save for next week too. Okay. Perhaps next week will be like a double under or double header, whatever whatever that means. I think you're thinking of a double ender. I think I think we're thinking of a. I can't do this, man. I'm I'm off my game tonight. Yeah, no, you got you got to got to be quicker, man. <laughs> Well, you know, we're, like I said, we're recording on Thursday. We normally do it Wednesday. The, the whole thing is just, you know. feels wrong. It, just, it doesn't feel right, no. Um, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more focused on going to the Taylor Swift concert tomorrow. You know, I'm, I'm distracted. It's, you know. So, well, actually, we talked about that last week, didn't we? We did. We did, yeah. Again, just let, let me know how it goes. Hopefully, she sings just the regular version of Bad Blood, not, not the... Uh... The new version. Yeah, no, I, I would imagine it'd be the um, the original version, the the OG version, as you as you would say. Do you think she's famous enough, or or, or she's like where this is a single album thing, or do you think she'll ever throw back to some old stuff? She, my understanding is that it's ninety percent plus just nineteen eighty nine, but that she does do a, a couple of older stuff. All right, some of the crowd pleasers. Right. Nice. Again, very very powerful entertainer. So. Yes, I agree. All right, this was a, a weird, interesting show, but we got we got through it. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 we're we're recording on an off day, so. All right, so next week, uh, Wednesday, potential extended show. Yeah. All right, get prepared. Okay. All right, I'll see you then.